I think the end of my life, when I close my eyes, I'll see many lovely things, but maybe perhaps will be moments like this where I just heard or I read something or someone found something helpful that I gave them. And it's so meaningful. Welcome to Invisible Not Broken. Today, we're talking about work, writing, and navigating chronic illness with kids and family. Our host, Monica, is joined by author Amanda Che, who lives with Sjogren's and Lupus. I have been dying for this interview. You have been so patient with me. <laughs> We're just jump right fucking in. And by the way, we will be swearing a lot because we love that shit, right? We're going to be talking about orgasms. We're going to be talking about chronic illness. We're going to, I think, be talking about parenting teenagers and the writing process mm-hmm. while being very sick and the rhythms of all of that. So mm-hmm. tell me about the Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus. The Girlfriend's Guide is a real down-to-earth. I want it to be like you're sitting on the couch beside me. You've got a warm blanket. I drink hot tea. You drink your wine or whatever the hell you want. And I'm going to tell you what's really going to happen with lupus. But I'm not going to be all doom and gloom. And I'm going to let you know that in the end, you got a bunch of stuff left in your court that helps you control your health and thus better manage the lupus. I love this. I'm going to ask you about your your journey of finding out that you had lupus because I was suspected as having lupus. And that was like three years of my life of doctor's appointments and trying to figure out because we both have orphan disorders, which means there's very little money that goes into actually learning about it. Ain't no one care. No, no, they do care. But it's, it's yes, it's very hard. It is really hard. If you have like the quote unquote sexy disorders like MS or cancer, there is a lot of research happening. It doesn't mean that you're having an easier life. It just means there's some answers and actual protocols and things like lupus and Eller Stainless and other things that are, but we end up with a lot of, I call it the gray margin zone because it's right where all the wellness industry sort of descends like vultures on us. The gluten-free people, the ozone therapy, whatever you need. Yeah. If one more person tells me, I will be just fine if I take coconut oil. Oh my God, Cindy, you probably didn't try that. I should have put that in the book. Right. I will throw a femur at the next person. I I will absolutely (laughs) detach a femur and go full caveman on this. So tell me about your journey of figuring that you are in the U.S. Is that right? Yes. Yes. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Well, my journey is a little different than most people. So most people have lupus takes five to seven years, right? As you mentioned it, it's just for people to know about lupus. It is a systemic autoimmune disease where the immune system goes haywire and attacks healthy cells, organs, and tissue. So one reason why we are this orphan, we're the redheaded stepchild is because it's so vague, right? It's like a a snowflake, which snowflakes are beautiful. They show up uniquely for every single person. And when you're something so vague, the media can't get their brain behind it. Like, oh, you might have a little rash on your face or you might lose a kidney or you might die. Oh, hell, I don't know what to do about that. We don't know exactly why it shows up or what causes it. And so that's why my journey is a little different. When I was pregnant with that first daughter, her name is Anna, she was really rough inside that body of mine. And I struggled greatly with like seven hospitalizations and profuse vomiting. So no one ever really said like, what the hell's wrong with you? They just were literally like, okay, we must save you to continue to grow this baby. I have a baby. I move on. I have another baby who wasn't as hard to do. Uh, Her name's Kaya. She's lovely too. And then maybe like less than 10 years later, I live in Florida and I start to feel like achy joints. And I just blame it on I'm a beast or I was a beast to my body. Beast, you know, CrossFit and mixed martial arts, all these things. And I thought, oh, hell, I've done it. 
And I continue on, right? You don't think of it. I get some like mouth ulcers and I ask a dentist and she's like, oh, that's nothing. And I'm like, okay. And like white blood cells are low and like vitamin D is low, even though I live in Florida. And everyone's like, like they look at you like you're crazy. Like you're fine. I go to North Carolina where I live now and I start feeling worse. I teach these workout classes and I come home and cry. Just what you want your instructor to do. I'm crying. I'm sobbing. Eventually I go to an ortho who is like, you're fine. And I'm like, we're in some blood tests. And we find out I have Sjogren's, which is another autoimmune disease that typically dries out your eyes and your mouth in addition to many other sucky things. But I also get this test that says I have 100% neonatal lupus, which, you know, babies get, right? There's different types of lupus. This is one that babies get from their moms and it goes away. But no one cares. And I'm like, well, what the hell says? I'm like, you're not a baby. I'm like, I know. And they just let it go. They ignore it. I get into a rheumatologist who eventually keeps asking me these questions like, hey, Amanda, is your hair falling out? And I'm like, my hair? No, my hair's fine. Or do you have lung infections? No. Do you have chest pain? And I'm like, no. And she would ask me this every single time. And eventually I put those damn words together and Googled them and figured out she was looking to see if I had lupus. She was looking for markers, some physical characteristics and also checking my blood. But then one day during COVID, I got the ANA positive and she was like, uh-huh, and sent me on to a lupus specialist. And you know, when your specialist sends you to a specialist, hmm, that's not always the best thing. And it was then that I finally got diagnosed with lupus, 21 years. So you were just I, like, this is new. Yes, but I have no, yes. Technically, formally, just a few years ago. But to me, I like that don't even matter. I, I knew I've had it for so long. But the funny, weird thing is, five or six months later, my oldest daughter, that one that was so rebellious in my stomach, my uterus, she has lupus too, which is rare, but it, it's what's come along. So I'm a real weird case. There's a lot to unpack here. I know whenever you're ready. I'm, I'm trying. Um, it's, I did not realize that your diagnosis was this recent. So with lupus, there are 11 criteria the American College of Rheumatology set out to have lupus. We need to have four of them. Now, looking back, I'm like, what the hell? I had many of them for all of those years, but the doctor wouldn't formally give me that. Only when that ANA was positive. Well, but for me, I'm weird because 75% of the time I am negative, to which my current rheumatologist is like, oh, no, no, no. That's one of the markers of lupus. And my daughter's the same. I'm like, we're almost always negative. Only once in a while, we'll fling up and say, yes, we have a positive ANA. So I think I was kind of a, a conundrum. The, the rheumatologist must be very sleuth-like detectives because lupus mimics many, many diseases, even like COVID or bacterial infection or fibromyalgia or cancer, right? It mimics these things. It progresses in stages, hence why it takes so long to get that diagnosis. And that's why maybe they thought you had lupus too. I actually had a really high positive ANA level, like an insanely high ANA level. Uh -huh. And then the next time they tested, it was down. And they're like, oh, you don't have it then. Well, and it titers, you know, like it goes up. They, they titer it when I get it. At, I go out of University of North Carolina. They all, I'm like, why are you guys testing this? You're always testing this. And they're like, well, we don't just test yes or no. We test like how high it is today, how low it is next time. I'm like, gotcha. Wow. Yeah, I was told that it was off the table. There's no possibility I had it because of, wow, that's fascinating. I know. I didn't know either. Calling my doctor after. Yeah. And the reason why we're talking so much about the testing is for all of our listeners in other continents with kindly 
NHSs and other things, this is expensive. I know yes. for, for my testing, it was into the five figures. So a lot of times with insurance, like our copay is $6,000 a year, and then it's only 80% of whatever it costs. So I've stopped looking for diagnoses and we're just going with the LR stainless. I can't afford to keep looking for answers. So I just want to make that clear for all of our other listeners, since we have listeners all over the world. And if you do have socialized medicine, please fight with everything you have to keep that. This is not what you want. It's interesting you said that because one, my rheumatologist previously, I'd said, why don't you just say I have lupus and get on with it? And she's like, well, if I said that, your insurance would never forget that and it would follow you your whole life. And we need to make sure that you have this before we go forward. So that's, you know, another thing for your listeners, like no one wants lupus unless you really have lupus. Well, I no think one. we're about the same age. And you probably remember before what they call Obamacare, if you had a diagnosis of anything, your insurance could drop you, deny you, or post retroactively charge you for things they had previously authorized. And that was what this Obamacare was, was such a, an amazing thing to have was because that put a stop to that. Seriously, because I had been self-employed, I had been dropped by insurance by simply having Sjogren's after Obamacare. So those rules apply when you're in these big systems, but when you're an independent person, oh, like I don't even know, like I'm like, oh, I must always have health insurance through my husband because I don't know how else I would get it. And they would just be like, oh, hell no. And that was the romantic. And my husband and I are very much in love and we're very happy. We're just not big on tradition. The reason we got married was for health insurance. Oh, yeah. well, hey. Yeah. Yeah, well, hey, whatever works. The reason I was asking about this is that you had such a quick turnaround from writing a book, which is <laughs> a huge. So you got a diagnosis. And I, I'm if I'm putting something on you that's not you, just go ahead and tell me. You are welcome to tell me to fuck off. That might be fine, but go ahead. It's just watching succession, like all of it. Like all of it. I think fuck off is now my favorite yeah, phrase. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. That's right. So was this a, a control? Was this a way of like process? I, you wrote this amazing book that was nonfiction is the wrong word, but this feels very down to earth, very conversational with a lot of really good information. Mm -hmm. I spent a whole bunch of time like cyber stalking you just. Oh, good, good. My first stalker. I have huge envy over your, your master bathroom after looking at your YouTube oh, channel. Thank you. So was this a way of control process or? I love that you asked me that. No one has asked, but it actually many times I'm like, maybe I shouldn't write this. I'm so close to being diagnosed. So here's the thing. My background and how I've lived my life in the past is that everyone knows me as like some weird health nut. I remember being at the house one day and feeling like doom and gloom for myself. Like, oh my God, I ate so much salad in my life. Why the hell do I have lupus? I have been so good. I have done all of the universe. I have done it all. What the fuck did you do to give me this, right? I had this time. And then I was like, I think I was on one of those Facebook groups that were like, hey, I lost eight teeth today. And I'm like, oh my God. I had that realization instantly that my life could be worse. It was like a slap in the face. Like, I know I felt terrible. But you know what? I probably could feel a lot worse. And you know, I did have a lot of things that I did that probably allowed me to function quite well. And so I think it was that realization, like I could be way worse and I maybe need to share some of these good things for people. And I didn't want, I did not want women to feel the pressure that we feel like to, to do it all perfectly, to get that t-shirt and get the program and do all those things that we thought would promise better health, right? I mean, if Kale didn't do it, I don't think anything will. I know, Kale, yeah, no. Yeah, I'm, I do not want to offer a promise of this is going to cure you. 
But I do really think, even though half of our health or whatever number has been stolen away in the middle of the night, there's so much that still remains in our hands. And if we don't understand that, I want people to understand that. And we should never underestimate what we still have. We think we feel terrible, but life can get much harder. And so why don't we take control of the stuff that's still left for us? So that's why I wrote the book. And that's why I wrote it so close. But you know, I have to be honest. I, it was a year and a half. I wrote it. I don't know how that, I'm still amazed with myself. Like I haven't lost my, I'm like, wow, I don't know how I got it done. But I just hunkered down and I typed my little heart out and I researched and I interviewed people and I cried. There were times I was so sick that I couldn't even like see the the keyboard and I had to take care of myself. But for somehow, yeah, some way I, it came through and the fact that, you know, it makes sense to you, it's legible and allows you to trigger something in you to think differently is such a an honor to me. I love what you're saying about that perfectionism because I do feel like any of us who present as female, most of us were raised with this idea of don't even try it, start it, don't do anything publicly until it's perfect. And then you get to present yourself. You better be like young, skinny enough, beautiful enough, old enough, but not too old. Yeah, like, oh, no, no, not too old. I mean, I hated the Barbie movie with every fiber of my being, but that one speech that America Ferreira gave was like everything and it's the truest thing ever. And I'm yes. so interested in so many different things of what you just said. I think I'm going to go with the easiest one and then I'll, I'll, ask a few more questions because I don't often get to talk to people who are parents of teenagers. So I will absolutely be chatting. Yes, please. Yes. I have so many young people in my life and they are all so cute and shiny. And I'm like, oh, no one to talk to you about this very lonely stage. And you got a friend now. I'll give you my cell. We do, whenever you need it, I'll give you some We hope. might be chatting a lot more. What do you wish you had known about writing a book? Oh my God. What a great, great question. I wish I had known how expensive it is. I wish I knew... I mean, I spent so much money. Thankfully, never, if you can believe it, I never looked up, never Googled how to write a book. And that has greatly served me. I simply wrote a book because I didn't want to be influenced like by someone telling me how to do it. And in fact, when I sent my editor the first draft, she was like, we need like an outline, like a chef, you know, I'm like, oh, like, cause I, you know, I should have known because I read voraciously, like behind me are all books, but I, I didn't know. So I wish I'd known how expensive it was. What's the most expensive part of this? PR. Oh my. Yeah. But I love that I've worked with some great people. They're very nice, by the way. By the way, please, if you are listening to this podcast and you have PR people, this was absolutely a rarity. I just like Amanda. I usually don't take guests who come to me through PR agencies. It's, it's literally because I like church. Agents are really nice. But please, I beg you guys, please stop sending me these emails. I, I don't usually do that. I'm just a lucky person. How good I feel. I feel You honored. just seemed really like, yeah, lovely. And it was a weird moment. I was in the middle of COVID. And I'm like, this actually seems it was in like a week fun. I was okay. It was a weak moment. Sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was COVID sick. And I was like, I actually want to talk to her. This sounds fun. But yes, yes I usually don't you. do this. So please, agents, just tell your people to email us directly. But yes, I can See where that would be really expensive. I've never done that before, but that seems very pricey. I decided to have 50 images created. I just thought in my brain that would be, and it is, those were fun, but you know, that took a lot of work and the editing takes, you know, what is it? I don't remember. Three cents a word. I wrote like 120,000 words and I did not know. I should have only written 65,000. So you know, <laughs> a lot of those things just, they were lessons, but you couldn't have told me. It's just like me when I was 20. You couldn't have told me. You you just have to, okay, and you support me and ask me how I'm doing and send me on my way. But you know, the hardest part I think about writing a book is simply the now. 
the marketing side because I don't I want to be done. I won't post any more about me, people. Maybe like a picture of my dog and maybe like once a month, not every day. Your dog is cute. Yeah. Oh, she's beautiful. She is. Not like every day. Here I am. Please, please buy my book so I can make one thousandth back on what I've spent. But I have to remember it's not about that. I, I do. I really try to remember like if anyone's like, oh, that book was helpful. I'm like, oh, it will light me up. I, I think the end of my life when I close my eyes, I'll see many lovely things, but maybe perhaps will be moments like this where I just heard or I read something or someone found something helpful that I gave them. And it's, it's so meaningful. This is where I wish more people who are policymakers would listen to this podcast because I think mm -hmm. there's a weird narrative around disability that we just sort of disappear. And what we've done, we did before our diagnosis was before we ended up in our bedrooms. And the fact yeah. is, is all of us desperately want to still contribute. Like I haven't yet to meet a disabled person who is not desperately trying to find some way to be a part of the conversation or to give or to help. I mean, there's no more generous group than disabled groups. Like we are always yeah. sending the same $20 back and forth to each other. I swear. It's like the same $20 goes back and forth through GoFundMe. <laughs> and it's nice to hear. Yeah. It's, I, the thing is, is, I think all of us in our Maslow hierarchy of needs want to feel purpose. And a lot of our purpose is helpful. Yes. Yeah. I, I really relate to that. I always knew I would write a book. My husband is, he's a refugee from Laos. And so I'd always be like, I'm gonna write something about how crazy his family is. So I figured, well, this is the next best thing. How do your kids feel about this? And I don't mean like that should limit you or anything. I'm just curious because you mm. had mentioned that your daughter has this. And a, a little side story was I used to be a photographer and I was really, I ran my studio in the Silicon Valley. I knew a lot of other like people who were running businesses, working in Apple. Like, And when I got sick, it freaked everyone out. And I had already had both my kids. And the first thing, and I swear to you, one of my old friends, because we don't talk anymore if this said was, oh my God, you must feel so guilty about your children. Because both my children exhibit some of the symptoms and they aren't full blown. But it was this idea of like, what if I had known I wouldn't have had them or that I should feel guilty or like my, like living in a sick body isn't a worthwhile life. Like it was all just very, I realized it came from her fear and her own stuff, but it was just of all of this, all the shit I've been told since I've come out of the, the chronic illness closet, which took me a decade. That was probably the cruelest of all of this stuff. But I'm just wondering how you you and your kids are navigating, processing. Are you really open and discussing this? And are, is your experience helpful to them? Because my teenagers are lovely, but my experiences aren't always welcome in the discussion. Well, I think the reality is for me and my family, uh, until I was writing the book, which seems crazy, I didn't know how terrible lupus was. I would repeatedly yell from, it was always the kitchen table, oh my God, this sucks. And they'd be like, oh, and they'd like roll their eyes at me because I just found out so much bad things. I know, I know my family loves me as I am. I think that they know, they understand what's going on. But I think it's like me saying like, oh, I have, um, I have an extra pinky on the end. And they're like, okay, like, mm, cool. You know, and I'm like, oh, here's my book cover. Okay, cool. They always gave me marketing advice. My husband's actually read the book, which, you know, he's not read a book for at least a, a few decades. So I know they're proud of me, but I don't think in the best way possible that they, it's some extravagant, special thing. I am still just a mom. I still do some kick-ass things that I know, but that allows me the nicest way to be humble. I think they've been around me where people are like, oh, you know, they say nice things. And I think that's good for them. But I also think it allows them to be like, 
yeah, you can get these things and it's not really you. It's just something I have and it's something that I deal with, but I'm still, you know, struggling as every other person to be a nice human and to do good in the world. What are the good things to say? Obviously, you must feel guilty. It's not a good thing to say to someone. What are some mm. of the things that you wish people have been able to either say or do post-diagnosis? Mm. Yeah, and we could go on about the terrible things people say. Please feel free, too. I mean, we yeah. can bash. We can they aren't absolutely even They aren't worth my energy. Yeah, some people, <laughs> like the words aren't worth it. I, you know, the, oh, I'm a chiropractor to heal you. It's not curable. I don't want it. Thank you. Also, prayer is not, it's oh, a lovely thing to think nice things for people. Yeah. But this is not part of my treatment plan. No, no, no. If if only. I did find when I was writing the book that they did research on patients who had cancer and the ones that were like, this sucks. And the other ones are like, this is all good. I'm going to get through this. That no one healed at a higher rate, no matter if you thought good thoughts or you thought negative thoughts, which gives us all the freedom to feel whatever the hell you need to feel. But you really need the extra pressure to be Pollyanna positive when you've just had your entire life changed. Don't get to have another boob left. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. Just, yes. just positive. Just keep, keep vibing. Yeah. You saw in the book, there's a whole section on toxic positivity, toxic. Oh my God. Inspirational. Yes. What I want people to say, if I'd said, Hey, you know, Hey friend, I have lupus. I would want them to be like, tell me how that affects you. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you're doing today. As we know, today is very, I mean, hell, even right now is very different than this morning. So how are we doing today? How can I best support you in this? I think those three things are simple. They're easy. For the person who feels uncomfortable knowing that someone they love is feeling sick, you know, we need to know. We need to know these things. And without addressing any, like even I've learned the idea. I don't know if you thought this, like, let's say you tell me you got divorced and I say, I'm sorry. I have learned a lot of people's reactions like, why are you sorry? That guy was a jerk or she was terrible for me. And I'm like, okay. And even when it comes to people having death, sometimes they're like, he's in a better place. Like they become anger issues. So I have learned to be like, Thank you for sharing that with me. That sounds really tough. And then allow people to kind of go from there instead of, you know, giving those canned responses that no one cares. Thank you. You know, where you end up like making the other person feel better that you feel sick. That's that's some really good advice there because the one side is framing it around themselves and that they're being wise to you is like how I view that. I just lost my father last year. So I've had a lot of people trying to be wise at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's not unhelpful, but the way that you're discussing that, I think that's even helpful just in any day relationships is, yeah. wow, that sounds really hard. Do you want to tell me more about that? Or like, that sounds like a great way to talk to anyone. Yeah, yeah. I think we just have to learn. We, I mean, everything is a habit at times. We just need to work on it. We need to try. And then we're going to screw things up. You're going to say something wrong to someone. Someone's going to say something wrong to you. You will punch them in the stomach really hard and step on their foot. So they won't say that again. And, you know, you have the choice to give away that energy to them or not. I think that's really important. We have a lot of people in our lives, listeners, who we might not want in our lives. It's your choice to have them in your life or not. It's, you know, these boundaries are a very, very big thing that I got sharpened. I got a little, little nitty gritty on them in the book because they really protect us and they keep our health central if we utilize them. And if you're not privileged enough to be able to walk away from people, find any way you can hold your boundaries because that's, that's so helpful. The word no is, is a wonderful and beautiful word. It's a complete sentence too. Did you notice that? 
Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I think yeah. Oprah was the first one to tell me that when I was 16 watching her show. It was like a, an entire mind reframe. What is the part you wish you could tattoo across the sky? Um, I think it's probably the one that I, I have talked about that your health, you're, you're more than your health. The other one is like... Oh, no, no, no. That's a, a that's an underlying statement. Okay. That's, that's yeah. so important. Is that so? It's it becomes so much of your life, especially when you're going through your diagnosis journey. Oh. It's like a nonstop. No one asks you if you're writing a book. They ask you how you feel. They no one's asking you how your day was. It's what was your latest test result. That's a really beautiful statement. Yeah, okay, I, I'm sorry. I appreciate that you stopped me there. That we don't need to to gloss over it. I think the reality is when you get diagnosed. It is an every day. It's kind of like pregnancy, right? Every single oh my God. minute of the day, you're thinking, baby, that's a kick. What am I doing? Am I going to get, am I far enough away from the steering wheel so I don't squash the baby? It's the same thing when you have a diagnosis. How am I now? Oh, is that, what's that? What happened? Is something wrong with my eye? Am I going blind? Oh, is it this, you know, lupus is the problem. So it's really easy, I feel, to attach to an identity. I am an author. I am a mother. I am, you know, a wife. I am blah, 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 you know. But the reality is when you cut me to my core, that's who I am. Like my soul is right there. And me identifying lupus, I don't really want lupus. It can hang out in the back. I've got a lot of other things. But who I really am as a person is who I want to connect with and who I want to identify with. And everyone else is going to put labels on you. That's that's perfectly fine. But what you choose to put on yourself is simply that your choice. Love what you're saying, especially with the pregnancy parties, like as an owner of ovaries, which has been a nonstop people trying to tell me what I am, is the experience of just a public body when you are publicly disabled, because while I have an invisible illness, it requires visible things like canes and wheelchairs. And suddenly my body is now up for discussion and debate. What I'm eating, yeah. what I'm doing, whether I stand up for my wheelchair or not, whether I park in a disabled space. It felt very similar to when I was pregnant. People were like, strangers were policing what I ate or did. It was insane. And it's amazing how infantilizing disability can be as well as also my experiences with being pregnant was very, all of a sudden, it was the, the exact opposite of being adult. Everyone was telling me what to do, eat, wear. And then my first few years of disability was everyone who loved me trying to make it better by telling me what I should eat, do, wear, whether I should do physical therapy, not do physical therapy. It, it was some real hard truths with the whole family on boundaries. As you said, I am not just my illness. You became a boundary buster. There's your book. Boundary busting. I like that. I, I will have a lot of things for epitaphs. I was thinking a whole Ouija board with a keep and touch on, under it, but I think boundary busting should go right underneath that. I mean, maybe one page of it, just write the word big no. And then, you no. know, move. Yeah. No. Yeah. I like that. I, I do too. I am very much that person. We're almost at the end of our time. And I want to ask you, what's your favorite flair read? When you are like, oh. I don't know if you do. You seem to have flares. So I'm sorry if I'm assuming oh, yeah. and you're not. Um, what's your, what, what is your cozy escape from the world flare read? Yes. I'm not as big of a reader when I flare because I'm pull myself into, I'm like Gollum, right? From Lord of the, I pull myself in a hole. I retract. I don't bother talk to anyone. You know, I, I invert. So maybe that's some pointless, that's like, you know, something cooking channel or, or something like that. But when I'm decent, I, I literally will put, I yesterday finished one book, the Banyan Moon it was very lovely. And I literally picked up a next book, Court of Thorns and Roses, which I'm sure everyone's read. Oh my. But what do I, I mean, I read everything. 
I love a memoir and it, I love a travel memoir. I love culture. I love, I would drive by my neighborhood and like, if I could look in anyone's house at nighttime, I will totally do that. So any books that peel up and show me what people are like, I'm down. And we did probably talk about orgasms. So I'm going to start yeah, this let's out here because like if we're going to, and we only have like three minutes left, but um, if we're going to okay. talk about like pain reduction, like that is, that is scientifically, if you want to, we're on our Invisible Not Broken Network. We do have Dr. Phillips who has a whole thing on sex and chronic illness. Amazing podcast. Love him. But I did finish Red, White, and Royal Blue. And I am not normally a romance reader. It's just, I, I cheers whatever makes anyone happy. No judgment. It's just not my general genre. But oh my gosh, if you need, any sort of fodder whatever your predilections is this book has it and it's in a non-traumatizing way nothing is without full consent or joy and it is like I spent the whole time feeling very healed from 2016 after reading that that was a very healing journey after everything we've been through yeah so that's just my my little thing out there my closing question is always what is your under hundred dollar purchase that's just made your life better and while you're thinking, I'll just say mine because I'll give yeah, you a few things to go, consider. Go. I love to hear yours. I just got a um, Surdust, and I'm not sponsored, but it's a heating pad for the whole bed. And it has two oh. separate controls because I sleep different temperature than my husband. And yes. with flares and muscle flares, being able to crank mm. that thing up to 10, it's me and all the animals right there. Just Oh, that's great. I have to look into that. Okay, my favorite thing that I own under $100 was this teak Buddha bust that we bought in Chiang Mai, which is northern Thailand. And my husband, when he immigrated from Laos, he was a refugee in Thailand. So it's kind of, we went back there and the bust, it was cool. It was carved out and then they tied it up with this rope. And my husband carried it on his back. And when he got to the airport, they said, you're not allowed to take, you know, this teak Buddha out of our country. But because he spoke their language, he finagled them, said he was giving it to his mom. He showed it to his mom, but now rests in her house. So it's one of my favorite things. I love to walk through my house and see where I have traveled by the positions I have brought back. And there's a lot of beauty in Buddhism to, to oh, sort of ruminate on, especially in chronic illness. Yes, yes. You want me to give you my favorite quote? Oh, God, yes. Yes, okay. In the end, what matters most is how well have we loved, how well have we lived, and how well have we learned to let go? I have nothing wiser to say than that, except head over to our show notes, take a look, and we will have a link to the book, The Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus. Take a read it. It definitely helps for everyone, not just lupus. There's a lot to learn here. Very giftable book. Thank you so much, everyone. It's been kind of a crazy few months, so be kind, be gentle, and as always, be a badass. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about today's episode, including show notes, transcripts, and more, please visit invisiblenotbroken.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support the show by heading over to our Patreon or by sharing these episodes. We are non-advertising and our growth is thanks to you listeners. Thank you to our hosts, Monica and Amanda, for a wonderful discussion. This episode was edited by me, Luke Spine. Last but not least, be kind, be gentle, and be badass.